You're listening to audio from Grace Hills Church in Aliso Viejo, California. For more information, visit us online at gracehills.com. I remember the day pretty well. Uh, it was sunny and warm because, well, I lived in the desert. Uh, I was in the back office of my church that morning, and I remember the executive pastor had been out for a number of days because he had some surgery and he had to recover, and I saw him drive up, and I thought it was odd that he was driving into work right after a big procedure. And I thought that that was interesting, but I also knew that our church had been in a bit of a decline. There had been some problems at the church that we were at, and the tithing had gone down, and uh, attendance had dropped off a little bit. And I also knew that we had too many staff to support the uh, payroll at that time. So by the time my phone rang, I already knew that I was about to lose my job. And maybe you've been in that moment. Maybe you experienced that moment. It's a delightful moment of anxiety that floods you. And here's the thing. I had done everything they'd asked me to do. Uh, everything that was put on my plate, I had done to the best of my ability. Uh, they were uh, happy with the things I'd done. I had raised up uh, a couple of young men to be involved in ministry as interns who are now getting to go into full-time ministry. And so all these great things were happening. So when I walked in the room, I was, uh, I was in, a, in, a, in a bad state, to say the least. They were kind. They were gracious. As they tried to make small talk, I said, we all know why we're here. Let's just land the plane quickly, shall we? And they did. And they told me the same thing. You, you haven't done anything wrong. You've actually been a great employee. We've been very thrilled with everything that you've done here um, at this church, but we don't have the financial means to keep you on staff anymore. And so they provided me with a very generous severance package to thank me for my four years of service there. I thanked them for the opportunity, and I said, thank you so much for giving a guy with no ministry experience an opportunity to come and do ministry for the first time in my life. And I shook both their hands, and I walked out the door. And then I drove to the California Aqueduct, because that was my thinking place. I would run there. We lived by the aqueduct, and so we would run the trails up there and pray up there and think up there. So I went up there, and I was just kind of trying to clear my mind and get my head around like what just happened. Um, I remember I called Annette and a few key people and let them know, like, hey, just a heads up, I don't have a job. And, um, and I remember kind of walking that road and then just kind of crying out to God and going, why? Why is this happening? Like, I, I wasn't in sin. I wasn't a bad employee. I didn't do anything wrong. Like, why is this happening? Like, what's going to happen to us? How am I going to provide for my family? Like, God, like, this is the worst thing ever. And I remember looking in that moment going, there is no good that can come out of this really horrible and difficult situation. Well, what ended up happening as the days turned to weeks and the weeks turned to months without having a job God started to reveal his plan for my life and what he wanted me to do in that desert, which was to plant a church called Soma Community Church. Nine months after I had been let go. And I remember preaching, seeing men and women come to Jesus, using our pool as the biggest baptistry that we had available, seeing lives saved, seeing marriages healed, seeing people that had had all these problems with the church 
be excited to come and be a part of the church again. And what I found is in those five years of being the lead pastor of Soma Community Church was some of the most fruitful ministry I've ever experienced in my entire life. My wife and I look back on our ministry in uh, Palmdale and we just were always excited about it because God was just working and he was moving. And what he did is he took this seemingly horrible event that was full of pain and frustration and heartache and worry. And he turned it into something beautiful. And maybe you find yourself in a situation where there's difficulties, where there's hardship, where you're struggling, where you're maybe asking the same question, God, why am I here? Like, why is this happening to me right now? Why am I dealing with this thing that I don't want to do? And it can be anything. Any kind of broken situation, as simple as a, as, a, as a broken relationship to the loss of a loved one, and everything in between, right? And so we, we all walk in this room, and we all want to uh, be loving and kind, but we know that there's hurts there, right? We know that there's struggles there. And my hope is that today, that as we jump back into our study in the book of Acts, that this section will bring you encouragement, and that you'll have some hope, whatever your difficult circumstance is, whatever the broken thing in your life that you're going through, that God would shed light on the fact that he loves you and he cares for you. And what we're going to see is in the early church, there was this event, this kind of really rough, I would say horrible event that took place in the early church. And there was this stain that could have potentially been on the mission of the church and where it was going. But God is going to use that for great things to further the gospel. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to open up to Acts chapter 15. We're only going to be in a few verses, 36 through 41 today is all we're going to be in. Um, if that brings you hope, the message will be short. I don't want to disappoint you. Uh, it may not. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles in the seats in front of you. You can take that Bible, keep that Bible, take it home and use it. We'd love for you to have the Word of God in your hand. So let me read out of Acts 15, and we'll jump into our study this morning. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return to visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from in Pamphylia and not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, uh, strengthening the churches. Let me pray, and we'll get into this section of Scripture. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for having uh, your word be real, for it hitting us where we are and what we're going through. Lord, I do ask that you would, you would bring encouragement to my brothers and sisters that are here today. For those that don't know you, that you would bring your hope of Jesus Christ and what he's done to give them an eternity with you. And that through this, we could see the hand of you working through all things, through all throughout history, to glorify your name and to save the souls of those that you love. Pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. So the situation as we read it, it's not very long and it's not very hard to understand, but I believe there's a few things that we can learn from it as we go through it this morning. Um, one is how we view things in this life and how we view what's going on. 
how God works in them, and how we can respond as well ultimately when we deal with these kinds of things. The first thing is just going through the story and what the plan is. Paul's excited. Uh, he decides that, hey, this would be a great idea. We should go back to all the churches that we've planted, that we establish elders in, and we should go and see how they're doing. And while we're seeing how they're doing, we want to encourage them, let them know, hey, you guys aren't alone, that we're with you, that the church supports you, that we're excited about all that God's doing. It's a good plan. I would say that's a sound, good idea. Nothing wrong with that idea. It's such a good idea that Barnabas agrees. He's like, of course we should do this. Why would we not go and see all the people that we built all these relationships with and love on them? It's been about a year or so since we got back and it makes sense to go and see them so they would know that they're not an island on their own, but they're connected to the larger body. But then this other thing happens. Barnabas is like, perfect. We're getting the band back together. This is going to be great. It's going to be like old times. It's going to be you. It's going to be me. It's going to be John Mark. We're going to go see our friends. We're going to laugh. We're going to have some fun. We're going to see Jesus work. It's going to be great. Well, Paul didn't see it that way. Paul had a different view of what was going on. And he's like, you know, I don't think it's a great idea. Remember what happened last time when John Mark was with us and how that all shook out? Now, I hinted at it a few weeks back when we were going through Acts 13, 13. I said, oh, pay attention to this. We're going to get there. This is an important little phrase. And it's not very long, but there is this little section. So when they went on their first trip, it was the three of them. And Barnabas brought his cousin. So bring in family. Hey, I got this cousin. He should come and help. Ever heard that phrase? Usually goes really bad. Um, but in Acts 13, 13, we have this one short little verse. Now, Paul and his companions set sail for Paphmos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. That's all we get. Just that one little sentence. That's all we get there. Um, John splits, goes back to Jerusalem. We're not sure what he's doing there. Most likely he's with the church, working with the apostles. But we don't have a reason why. There's a lot of speculation as to why John Mark left and, and what that was all about, but we really don't know. Some say he may have gotten sick or he may have gotten injured on the trip. Some say that he was homesick and just missed being around family. Some think that maybe he just couldn't cut it. Like, hey, missionary work's just too hard. I can't hang with this, and so I need to go back. But we don't know. We don't know what his reasons were, but we do know this. Paul wasn't a fan of it. Paul didn't like how it shook out. And he certainly didn't like how John Mark handled the situation when it was going on. Well, we get to our conflict. Barnabas does not want to see, he doesn't see things the same way as Paul does. Now, if you know anything about Barnabas, Barnabas is a fascinating character in the Bible. He's a guy that gets overlooked all the time. As a matter of fact, he had his hands on a lot of the individuals that became the early church and the missionaries and those being saved. He was this guy. Um, he, his name is, um, a nickname is what it is, but Barnabas in Greek means uh, son of encouragement or son of comfort or uh, son of exhortation. Like, that's who he was. He's the guy that you want to have around, right? Like, he's the guy when you're feeling down, you want Barnabas around. He's going to lift you up. He's going to encourage you. He's going to speak truth into your life. He's just this wonderful individual. I wish I had that nickname. I don't have that nickname. I have other nicknames that I can't repeat up front. 
not only is Barnabas this son of encouragement, he was the one after Paul was on the road to Damascus as he was on his way to go kill Christians because that's what his job was. He went to go kill Christians and then God meets him on the road to Damascus, says, no, I'm using you. You're my chosen person that's going to bring the message to the Gentiles. He's like, hey guys, I've changed. And everyone's like, yeah, no, they weren't. They're like, no, you're the, you're the guy who kills us. So like, we're not a fan of you. Barnabas is the guy who vouched for this. Like, no, no, he loves Jesus. He's preaching Jesus. He's been changed. Bring him on in. He goes into Jerusalem. Paul's preaching there. It gets really dicey, really quick. And at the lower amount of a window, and he runs out to the Arabian desert for like three years. As God's working in the church um, there in Antioch, Barnabas is there. He's like, we need more help. It's just hard work right now. So he's like, I know a guy. He gets on his sandals and he walks out to the Arabian desert. He goes and he gets, uh, Paul is like, hey, God needs to use you. He wants to bring you, like, come. And he comes in and then they start getting after it. So he is like the guy who loves Paul, giving him second chances, making sure like, hey, we can all change. I know that you were this, but now you're this. The brothers need to see that. It's great. He poured into so many lives. We saw so much movement in the church based on this man and his faithfulness to knowing the gospel, presenting the gospel, communicating the gospel. But Paul, he felt burned. Didn't finish the work. He abandoned his post. We brought this guy along, right? All excited. And when it got hard, he splits. We need people with backbone that are tough, with endurance, I was told this saying um, a long time ago when I first started ministry. And I think it pertains to what Paul's saying. I think it pertained then. And I think it pertains now. Ministry is not for sissies. You're like, I don't like that term. Ministry is not for sissies. It's just not. It's hard. You have to be strong emotionally. You have to be strong spiritually. You have to be strong physically. Like, it's hard all the time. You're pressing against the enemy all the time that there are people that don't like what you say. You're dealing with others. You have conflict constantly. Most people don't come to sit down and say, you're doing so great. You're amazing. We love you. It's like, I have a problem and here's my list. And you're a part of all of the problems. You have to have tough, thick skin if you're going to be in ministry. And that's what Paul's getting at. And he's thinking, what if he does this again? Like, this is not good. We're, we are instructed by God to take his word to people. These churches have entrusted us with money to make sure that this money goes toward the furthering of the gospel. What's going to happen? Is he, if he, is he going to bail? You ever been on a team where you've lost one or two members of your team? You know what's really fun? Being the people left behind that have to pick up all the slack. The work doesn't stop, does it? It's still there. You still have to do it. And suddenly that log you're carrying just gets really heavy. You're like, I, don't, I just rather know what our load's going to be at the beginning and do that. I don't want it to get harder. It's already hard enough. Well, maybe you've been burned by someone before. Ever been burned by somebody? How fast are you to trust that person again? How, how fast are you to just jump back in? You ever loan money to somebody like, oh, yeah, yeah I'll pay you back. And then they don't for like months. Oh, no, I, I will. Yeah, I will. Are you really excited to loan them money again? You ever let someone borrow your car? And you're like, yeah, you can borrow my car. I want to help you out. And they, they give it back to you with like an empty tank of gas. And you're like, yeah, you're not borrowing my car again. Gas is expensive. It was $7.48 in LA yesterday. I'm like, no. What about someone had something you had and they wrecked it? Are you, are you that excited to relive that? 
We know we're not, right? Like we're like that. And Paul's feeling that. But my point is this. Both men, they have valid points. This situation's not as cut and dry as you may think that it is. And maybe you find yourself like, well, I just, I, I think Barnabas was right. And you're like, I'm Camp Barnabas. You're like, no, man, he's going to have a man. I'm Camp Paul. And maybe you're in that same boat trying to decide who's right and who's wrong. See, Barnabas knows the gospel, right? It's all about forgiveness. It's all about uh, how we should forgive others and we should give them another chance so that God can work through them. No doubt, he's probably thinking about Matthew 18, as he, and he didn't have that, but he probably heard the stories from Peter. This is Peter talking to Jesus about forgiveness. And it says this in 21 through 22. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So he's thinking, well, of course, we always are to forgive. We're always to give second chances. We're always to allow them to uh, work through whatever they're going through. Well, Paul has verses too. He's probably afraid. He's probably thinking, this guy's going to abandon again. He doesn't even understand that God is the one carrying them through these situations and that God's not going to let us fail because if God's behind us, things are going to go the way they need to. And so he's probably thinking about Deuteronomy. He's probably in Deuteronomy uh, 31.6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear. Be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Or maybe he's like, no, I'm more of an Isaiah guy in this situation. And maybe he's like Isaiah 43 in verse 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. And Paul's probably thinking, if this guy doesn't know the basic understanding that God is protecting us, how can we bring him on a mission trip if he's just going to bail? See, it's not as cut and dry as you think. And there's verses to support both ideas. But here's the thing. It got so heated. It got so intense both men would not back down. They knew their position. They held their position. They felt like God was calling them to that thought and that idea that they got to a fight so intense that we get this super sad and disappointing verse in the Bible. And there arose a sharp disagreement. So they separated from each other. Ugh. You know what I love about the Bible? The Bible is so real. It's just so raw. Like, it, if you're trying to really promote yourself as looking great, don't ever have your name in the Bible because it's always going to end with you being in a really bad light because you've messed up in some way and how God's greatness redeemed you because that's how it always goes. The Bible is just very real. It's not afraid to show us what's actually happening because we're real people that are dealing with real circumstances. The last people that we would have suspected that would have been in a fight and a disagreement that would split in such a way would be these two men. These, these spiritual giants, these spiritual missionaries that were going out, communicating the gospel and forgiveness and reconciliation. Like, of course, they would know how to show that love of Christ to each other, right? Well, apparently it got rough. Like, these men loved each other. They were brothers in arms. They had been through so much, so much pain and tears and blood and sweat, persecution. They're the dream team. 
They're the ones who plant churches. But it shows this, that even these spiritual godly men can also make mistakes, can also get angry, and can also get upset. Even if you really, really love Jesus, you might handle conflict wrong sometimes. And I'll be honest, it's, that's not okay if you do. Not, that's not an excuse to go, oh, good, I can do whatever I want with. No, that's not what I'm saying. Don't hear that. The question, like, was Barnabas just being too soft with John Mark? I don't know, maybe. Maybe he should have been like, man, you got to sit this one out. Like, you, you just kind of let us down. Could Paul have learned to be more patient and give a second chance? I don't know, maybe. But the thing is, is that regardless of that, they split. These men will no longer work together after this fight. The crazy thing is this, and I, and I looked. Barnabas isn't mentioned ever again in the book of Acts. We never hear his name again. That's sad. Doesn't that hurt? That makes you like feel like, ah, oh, come on, guys. Now, we do have references in 1 Corinthians and Galatians and Colossians of Barnabas, but it's funny, like, there's four, but only two of those are like, you know, John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. It wasn't even about Barnabas. Or the other one was about when Peter and Barnabas were like, kind of like siding with the circumcision group, and they're like, dude, and it was like a rebuke. It wasn't even a good thing. It, it just stinks that these guys would never work together from what we understand again. We'd never see them be that dream team again. Um, here's the thing. I talk to people all the time. Oh, I've been burned at the church. The church has hurt me in some way. Someone was mean to me. Welcome to being around people. That's what it means to exist with people. That's going to happen everywhere. You know what they didn't stop doing? The work of the Lord. They didn't stop them from loving the church. They changed. Now, I have a, uh, there's a map up there. Can we throw that map up there? Do we get that one? Cool. Um, so we have two, two things going on here that we're going to talk about. Um, they, they didn't stop doing work, but John uh, Mark was taken with Barnabas, not in a bad way, in a good way, and they went from Antioch down to Cyprus. Now this, remember Cyprus when they went down there the first time? That was Barnabas' kind of hometown where he grew up and he knew people. So he goes down to encourage those guys. There was ministry that was happening there. There was good things happening there. People were being saved there. And so he takes John Mark and says, I'm going to take John Mark. I don't care what you say. We're going. They get on a boat. They sail down there and they just go south to Cyprus and that's where they plant up. Um, we don't know exactly what took place on Cyprus, what was going on, but tradition, church tradition says that Barnabas pretty much committed to being on that island for the rest of his life, loving those people with the gospel, um, being faithful to the church, and, and loving them to the best of his ability until he passed. It's awesome. That's what any pastor would want ultimately in their life. Um, Paul, on the other hand, he starts his second missionary trip. And so as you look up here, he starts up in Antioch. He goes to his hometown, and then he starts hitting all the places that he was. But then he starts on this other road where he goes way out east, west. <laughs> and he goes west, and then he comes back around. He'll make his way back around. Doesn't actually stop in Cyprus, by the way, if you notice. He didn't actually stop there, the one place where his friend was. Um. It's pretty interesting as you start to see the maps and how they function and what's going on, how God's moving in there, that God's doing something. Now, here's the thing. The church blesses Paul, sends him off, and they go and they start encouraging these churches like Paul originally had said, right? Do you, 
We know it was great because those churches were encouraged, but don't you think it was a little bittersweet? Every time you roll into a town where you'd done a bunch of work and you're like, they're like, Paul, Paul, where's Barnabas? Where's Barnabas? He's like, oh, yeah, he, uh, he, did, he was on another trip. Oh, man, how come? Why not? Oh, we like yelled at each other and went our separate ways and yeah, be godly like me. Like, you don't think that there's this weird awkwardness that's gonna come out of those moments every time they went to a place where they were at? Every time that maybe Paul went and saw those churches like, man, it was, man, Barnabas and I were just getting after it. God was working so well. Like we, all these relationships that we built and we, we got to talk and they prayed late at night, like all those things. Like every time they go there, all those things remind us of what was going on. You ever wonder if they wished, like, I wish things would have been different. I, I wish we could have made this work. I wish there was some kind of compromise we could have come to, to where we could have continued to do ministry. And maybe at some level, there might have been a little bit of regret. I mean, we all have regrets in life. Even as Christians, we do things that we wish we wouldn't have done, and we regret doing things or saying things or doing things to other people. We have those regrets in life. And I'm sure that that might have been one that was maybe looming over them, that they wished it could have changed things. This is a side note, but you can do whatever you want with it. Maybe you've had a falling out like that with a friend, a coworker, a family member, somebody that you engage with and that you did life with for a long time. And I'll just say this. It's never too late to reconcile. It's never too late to make amends. The enemy wants you to think that it's too late. But they did it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. I remember getting, uh, there was a, a misunderstanding with a friend that I had, and it caused a huge rift in our relationship, and uh, super close to me, to my family, and we just stopped talking all completely. And I just, it just broke my heart. Every time I thought about it, it broke my heart. And I remember there was an opportunity where we got to sit down whereas Annette and I and him and his wife and we just started talking and I just said, I'm so sorry. And I just started, I was, I'm bawling. I'm like, I just wish we could. And then she's crying and everyone's crying. And it was just this moment where reconciliation took place. And we're like, we can put aside the stupid stuff. We can be brothers and sisters in Christ and we can move forward in a new relationship because Christ's grace is sufficient for all of us in any situation. And I encourage you, if that's in your life, be bold, pray, step out, ask God, God, help me to reconcile these relationships in a way that would bring you glory and honor. But, see, God has a plan. He always does. God's not uh, unaware of what's happening. See, God's sovereign. That word sovereign is so important to us understanding who God is. It means God is in control of all things. God handles all things. They all sit in his hand. He knows exactly what's happening, when it's happening, why it's happening. And he also knows how to take these really bad situations that we create at times and make them work for his good. See, in a tough time of season, it's really hard to understand what God's doing. It's really hard to understand at times how God is going to take this really bad situation and there's going to be good that's going to come out of it. This isn't in my notes, but I just, my heart's heavy this morning. Uh, many of you know Brian Bora. He's one of our elders. He's been in the ICU for over a week, uh, almost two weeks now he's been in ICU. Um, it's not looking good. I'll just be really, I'm, I'll be blunt. I love Brian to death. Um, he's not doing well. Please be praying for Brian. 
think about him, pray about him often, ask that God would heal his lungs so he could come off of the ventilator that he's on right now. But I'm looking at that going, I don't see any good in this. I don't understand how any of this is good. But those moments I go, God, give me faith to believe that you're sovereign. Give me faith to believe that you can take this really horrible situation because of sin and the fall and everything is broken and you can turn this into something for your glory, for people to come to know you in some way. I don't know what seeds God's planting. And it's funny because a lot of times in life, it's 2020, hindsight's 2020, right? You look, look back and go, oh, all these things happened for this reason. But let me just, I don't, I don't want to lie to you. You don't always get to see it, okay? I'm not going to lie to you. You're not always going to see why those things took place and how God used that for his glory. But here's the thing. You won't on this side of eternity, but you will on the other side. And you'll go, oh God, you are so amazing. I didn't understand that all of these things were like a domino effect to get to where it needed to go. And that's why you allowed them. And that's how you worked them for your glory and for your good. See, if we are in those situations, if we understand the sovereignty of God, we can lean into his sovereignty. We can trust in his goodness and his character and his nature. So when we don't understand, we can rest on the one who is in control. Because at times we feel like what? Life is out of control. But it's not. It's in his hands and he's in control of it. Ephesians 1 <clears throat> 11 says this. In him we have obtained the inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Just one of those verses just to keep in your pocket. Just a good one. It tells us that nothing is outside of the control of God. He is predestined, meaning he chose before what he was going to do, that he has a will that he is going to accomplish. No matter what he will accomplish, his will, he will accomplish his goal. He will save those that need to be saved. He will redeem those that need to be redeemed. He will bring hope and peace to those who need hope and peace. He will conquer all sin forever. It will be vanquished and thrown into the lake of fire. He will do those things. That is our God. Even the things that we did wrong to create the problem, he can make good out of. See, God is going to do his will. And the beautiful part is when we look back and see how he uses broken people and broken vessels to accomplish that goal. As a kid, I went through a weird pottery phase. I know, that sounds so bizarre. <laughs> it's like this mosaic artwork that I would like make plates at it was so dumb. But I remember taking all this broken tile and all this broken pottery, and when you start to actually put it together, you can make these beautiful mosaics that show something bigger than what you realize is being there and the patterns that come from it. And that's what God is doing with all the things in life. He, we can't thwart God's plan. We're not going to stop God from doing what he's going to do. And here's, you're like, why are you sharing all this? Because sometimes in life we can act like if I make the wrong choice, it's going to ruin what God is doing. It's going to mess up everything. And what I'm trying to tell you is that that's not how it works. 
Don't be frozen with fear. A lot of times we get frozen with fear. Like, I can't, should I do this or should I do that? If I do this, this could go wrong. If I do that, that could go wrong. And God's like, if you're seeking me out, if you're seeking my will, if you're trying to do something that's gonna bring me glory, even if you do it wrong and you mess the whole thing up, I'm still gonna work it out for my glory. Don't be frozen in fear to step out in faith and do what God has called you to do. Don't be frozen in fear. I see so many people that are afraid to take chances and risks because like, well, I just don't know. It's gonna all go sideways. Not if God is sovereign. So you may be asking, well, Simon, you just painted a pretty grim picture of two guys. It's life kind of went sideways. What, what, what good things, if any, has actually come from all this stuff? We're gonna see God's glory through this separation. I got five things. There's many more, I'm sure, but I'm just gonna give you five things that I saw very quickly that would help us understand what's going on. In a moment, God doubled his efforts. If you, if you look at that map, one, pe- one group goes left and they go, they go south, one goes north. All this ground is being doubled up and more people are getting to hear the name of Jesus. More ground was covered, more people heard. Like, that's a good thing. Sometimes when we divide, it allows God to fill those voids that could come in and help different individuals come along and do those things. The second thing, two more men were trained up by the best missionaries that have ever existed at that point. Like, who would want to learn under Paul how to be a missionary? Like, he's kind of the guy who does it. And what about Barnabas? Who would want to work under Barnabas? He's also a great missionary and probably one of the most encouraging people that we have in the Bible. Like, you wouldn't want to learn under those guys? These older, experienced men were pouring in to other men so they would grow into the next generation of church leaders. That's what they were doing. This is real-life discipleship. Discipleship is life-on-life, working with individuals. So you know why, it's, why we do life-on-life discipleship? Because you got to get ministry in the wild. It's all great when we talk about it up here in a group for an hour, but when you start doing discipleship, life on life in the real world, you can just see how it works. Paul, like, he's like, here's how you can be nimble. Here's how you can be quick. Here's how you can address the gospel here. Here's how you can do this. When people throw questions, like how does Paul know how to answer these questions and to bring in all the Old Testament into the, like he just does it. I love the school systems that we have for training up pastors, but I think that it lacks the opportunity at times to show them how to exist in the real world and to use all their abilities to go like, how do you do this in everyday life? They can break down verses and handle God's word appropriately, but they're not giving them opportunities to actually do that in a real setting where ministry is hard and tough. I love working with younger men in ministry. I've had the opportunity to do it a couple of times. And every time I've been so encouraged. I love the fact that we have two young men that are right out of college that are getting to use their gifts and their abilities to learn how to do ministry. They do a great job. Like, they try different things. This Nerf night was weird. I wouldn't have picked it. But I love that Justin had an opportunity to just dream and try something with his team. And it was a successful night. And it had lots of people coming to hear the gospel who had never heard the gospel for the first time. Praise the Lord. And we want to give these guys opportunities to fail with a safety net. We want them to learn how to try different things and put themselves out there. Because here's the thing. They're going to be the ones shepherding us at some point. They're the church leaders that are going to move forward. We have to constantly be pouring into the next generation. And that's exactly what Barnabas and Paul were doing. John Mark was getting training and Silas was getting more training. My third thing. More churches were planted. 
That's great. <laughs> we need more churches. We have to have more churches. And here's what I love about the churches that were planted. We know about them. We know what was going on. Why? Because Paul was a writer. Paul wrote letters. We call those the epistles. And as he wrote these letters, he said, this is what it looks like to worship God appropriately. This is what it looks like to serve the church. This is, this is dishonoring to God. This is sin. This is good. You should do more of this. Stop doing that. And we get to glean all of that information, don't we? And we get to understand how the church should function because he was writing these letters and going to these churches. What if it would have been like, eh, the church has hurt me again. I'm out. I'm going back to the Arabian desert. We would have missed out on half of the New Testament. That's crazy. But yet God had a plan. You know, we get out of this. I think people forget this. We get the gospel of Mark. Who wrote Mark? John Mark wrote Mark with Peter. Like, that's kind of a big deal. Like, I use that all the time. When new Christians come to me and say, I want to read a gospel, what do I say? Go to Mark. Why? Short. <laughs> it's shorter. <laughs> they can keep the, the, uh, the, you know, they can grip them with it. And so we have the gospel of Mark. It is so great that this guy that we're like, oh, I'm just not sure if he's going to hang, if he can cut it, ends up writing one of the four gospels. Isn't that amazing? Like how God had a plan. And that's my fifth point. God's not done with you, even if you get a little homesick or sick or whatever the reason was. I love that we fail at times and we just go, oh, I got to give up for the rest of my life. It's so, it's, Moses didn't start leading the people of Israel until he was 80. If you're in this room and you're of that age, God's not done with you yet. And I know we got a lot of people in that bracket. So just, if you're 80, just, you know, God's not done. He's got stuff for you. And I, and I love that God had a purpose for John Mark. He knew his life. He knew the arc of his story. He knew that he was going to bail for whatever reason. And I'm sure he held that. And I'm sure he felt rough about that. But what I love is this. There was a change. And I believe that Paul finally understood what Barnabas was saying. There's a change in Paul's heart. And how do I know that? I got a verse. At the very end of Paul's life, he's writing 2 Timothy, the last letter that we'll get from Paul, okay? And he's kind of, he's finished up the letter that he's written to Timothy about what's going on. And he's like, here's my personal instructions. Just the very end, like, hey, by the way, can you do this, this, and this? It's like kind of a like laundry list of things. Can you get those done before, you know, I see you? And he, and he says this in 2 Timothy 4.11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark. And bring him with you. For he is very useful to me for ministry. That is just one of those. I get chills when I read that verse. I don't know. I just... Because God was working in this Paul's heart. Like, this is Paul. <laughs> and he was still working on his heart. And for the first time, I think that what happened, I don't know how he heard about John Mark and what was going on. And I mean, word travels fast in churches. That's, we, we like to call it prayer, but it's like gossip sometimes. Whatever you want to call it. But the reality is that he heard what was going on. And I think he saw John Mark as Barnabas saw him for the very first time. I went, that guy, God's using that guy. Bring him. He's so, he's so useful for the spreading of the gospel. And for, bring him. I want him to be a part of it. And I'm not saying who was right. And I'm not saying who was wrong. 
I'm sure that both said and did things that they wished they wouldn't have done. But God had a plan in all of it. He was going to use it all. One thing I see all the time in the Bible and as I read it is like, there's a lot of horrible things that happen in the Bible. You ever kind of catch on to that clue? Like, a lot of rough stuff always happening in the Bible. Wars and famine and loss and death and barrenness and starvation. Like, there's a lot of hard things all the time. Yet God, if you read the Bible, you'll read those and kind of like go a couple clicks forward and see how God was working in all of it. And how all of this was like laid out for his master plan for how he's going to save the world and how he's going to change lives, how he's going to bring people to him. In Romans, <clears throat> Romans uh, 8.28 says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We're going to do a study next year. Um, I've been mapping out all of next year's sermons, and we're going to do like 10 weeks on the life of Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. It's an amazing story. Um, it was one of the first times I actually saw the gospel in the Old Testament. I'm like, this is like all about Jesus. Like, this is crazy. But Joseph has this moment. His life has gone super sideways. Everything's a wreck. Bad things are happening to him. I don't want to ruin all of it, but it's just not good. Should have been dead multiple times. But at the very end, when everything kind of comes to a head, he makes this statement. And I think it's really important for us to understand when it comes to Christ and the gospel. In Genesis 45, 7 through 8, he says, and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. See, we don't always get those opportunities where we see like the, the character in whatever story and understand what God is doing. But Joseph clearly understood what was going on. He understood that all the pain, the suffering, the hardship, uh, the potential death was all for one reason, is to preserve God's people. That they would save God's people and keep them alive. And all of that pain was worth it at the end because it meant salvation for the people of Israel. Man, what does that remind you of? There was a man named Jesus who was in the throne of God being worshipped by all the angelic beings that he came down to earth born in a dirty stable that his life was full of pain and anguish and hurt and suffering over and over and over and over again till ultimately it culminated in the work of the cross where he was broken and beaten. His body was torn, not for what he did, but for what we did. In the Garden of Gethsemane, what's he say? Lord, take this cup from me. I am not excited about the pain that I'm about to endure. He says, not my will, your will be done. Why? Because God was saving for himself a remnant of people that he was going to save for salvation, you and me and all that call in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus understood it. Jesus modeled it. Jesus understands your pain. He understands where you exist. He doesn't, he's not um, absent to what you're feeling and thinking because he felt the exact same thing when he had to go to the cross for you. Yet he understood that God's will was most important because it brought salvation for all who would call on the name of Jesus Christ. And he offers that to anyone who would call on him today. Anyone who calls the name of Jesus will have salvation, will be saved. That he takes our sins, dies for them, 
gives us his righteousness so we can be in relationship with the God of the universe. What I want today is for anyone in here who is going through difficulties to be encouraged that your, your future, though you feel it's uncertain, it's not, it's certain. For the Lord knows what it is. That you can find rest in knowing that God is sovereign over all things that he is in control of all things. And at times, I think we need to say the same prayer over and over again. It's like, God, I gotta give this to you again. God, I gotta give this to you again. God, I gotta give this to you. I don't understand. God, give me the faith to believe. Give me the faith to understand. Give me the faith to endure this situation, knowing that you are doing something much larger than my, than my situation. And that all of this is a part of your big plan. If that's you, I just want you to know God loves you so much. He's gone to such great lengths to save you. And though we may endure these temporary sufferings for a short time, there is glory in the next life to come for eternity. And everything that we feel here will disappear quickly. I'm gonna pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. I thank you for your message of encouragement. I thank you that you could show us this story of these men where you take a seemingly difficult, broken situation and you make it something beautiful that moves the gospel forward, that changes hearts and lives, that we are, we are recipients of the gospel because these men were willing to continue to go out and take the message forward. Lord, I ask that we would take encouragement if we are hurting. Lord, if we're in that moment today, we just call it to you, God, help me. Help me to have strength. Help me to understand. Give me faith where I don't have faith. And if there's, if there's someone here today who doesn't know you as their personal Lord and Savior, has never called on you for salvation, they would see that, Jesus, you have done that for them. You have endured the pain and the suffering and the hardship. So we could have salvation. We could have peace with the God of the universe. Thank you for Paul. Thank you for Barnabas and their diligence. And I thank you for this church, Lord. You are so good. We love you. We pray these things in your glorious and amazing name. Amen.